Welcome to The Creative Switch, the podcast inspiring the sensibly successful to switch on their unexpressed creativity for a more fulfilled life. In today's episode, we delve into the fascinating journey of Andrew Sheck, a creative switcher who has transitioned from the world of IT to the realm of fine art. Towards the end of Andrew's career in IT, in his role as the Director of Legal Technology Services at Kroll On Track, he was responsible for expanding and delivering legal technology services across the EMEA region. These included e-discovery, computer forensics and consulting, where he ensured that clients could fully leverage the advantages of technological advancements across various practice areas, including dispute resolution and antitrust. But then, in 2017, Andrew embarked on a new chapter, pursuing his passion for art. He studied for a BA in Fine Art at the prestigious City Guilds of London Art School, gaining a first-class degree for his exceptional work. His artistic journey didn't stop there. From 2020 to 2021, he further honed his skills with an MA, achieving a distinction. Join us shortly as we explore Andrew's inspiring transformation from working in the tech space to becoming a distinguished artist and discover how he merges his interest in the socio-political landscape with a love of painting traditions to produce unique, thought-provoking pieces. And if you're looking to turn your creative inspiration into action, Don't forget to listen right to the end of the episode and catch up with my creative adventures. I share the challenges I encounter and how acting on the nuggets I've learned from my guests and applying those learnings is helping me to move forward in my own creative projects. If you would like to follow your creative passion and make a switch, I'll share some wonderful advice this time from fellow switcher and world-class soprano Nadine Benjamin, which is not to be missed. Before we get to that, do remember to head to my website, nikkivalance.com, and sign up to join the Creative Switch community and get involved in the creative conversation. You can connect with like-minded creatives, find a safe space to share your challenges, support each other, and maybe even collaborate to create something new. First, though, it's time for some creative news in The Edge. Now, are you taking every opportunity to stimulate your creativity? Sometimes we get so focused on our own ideas and projects, our vision becomes narrower and we sometimes even get stuck down a particular path and feel boxed in. When was the last time you followed the work of other creatives outside of your discipline or visited an exhibition? There's lots of evidence to show that a trip to a museum, art gallery or exhibition can open up your mind to new perspectives to bring a fresh approach to your work, with the added benefit of being great for mental health too, as was recently highlighted in an article in Stylist magazine. As a novelist, I often go to author talks or writers' workshops and plan to keep doing this, but I've decided to look for events and shows to find out what's going on in the art world too. I've included a link to a list of 18 exhibitions in London over the coming months. There's plenty going on. If you're in a different location, 
there's a What's On link to search across the UK from Art UK, a charity who aim to make art accessible for all. And in my searching, I came across a fascinating project which could give us access to exhibitions worldwide. The project by a team at the University of Southampton uses VR technology with the potential to recreate any gallery, museum or exhibition to bring these experiences into our own homes. Head to the bottom of the show notes where all the links I've mentioned are listed under The Edge. Are you heading to an exhibition or cultural event soon? Do let me know how you get on, either in the Creative Switch community or on Instagram at Nikki underscore balance. And listen to my discussion on cultural exploration, exhibitions and building a visual arts practice representing broken utopias with artist Andrew Sheck. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Nikki. Good to be here. It's so lovely to have you on the Creative Switch. We don't know each other. We've not really spoken before, but we have a mutual contact who was talking about the podcast and what the people I'm interested in talking to. And she said, oh, I know somebody who's done exactly what you're talking about there. So could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do before we go into the detail of that? transformation if you like okay sure so my name is andrew sheck i'm 60 years old uh, and i'm a painter so that's what i'm doing now um a little bit about what i did beforehand was that up until i was 55 so five years ago i worked in business in technology and i made the what you would call the creative switch five years ago uh, and now i'm a full-time painter Fantastic. So I know a lot of people are going to be really curious about that transition that you've made. Before we go into that, I'm always keen to know what creativity means to my guests. So what it means to you in terms of the impact it has on your life, but also what the word means and and how you apply that to your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, good question. So I'd say it's an absolutely vital part of my life, I would propose that it's probably a vital part of many people's lives, if not everyone's lives. I would say that due to, you know, the kind of normal pressures of life and things that we have to do, that creative element is often suppressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have time for it. It's easy to put that to the back of our priorities because there are so many pressing priorities in a in normal life, in everyday life, which can take precedence over the creativity. It is something that you have to work at. It's not something that, I mean, I'm a visual artist, so people might think, oh, you're a visual artist, you go into a studio, you stare at a white wall, you come up with some creative spark and away you go. I mean, it just does not happen like that at all. It's creativity that the actual ideas that you get are things that you get through hard work through research through making things through deciding from things that you make which things work well which don't work well and using those as a springboard to move forward so it is a hard thing to do and it is vital to our lives 
but it is something that is very, very easily put to the back of the priority list. And in fact, quite often, even if you've achieved all the things you need to do in your everyday life, at the end of the day, it's quite easy to sit back and watch some TV or kind of just relax on the sofa. Some, sometimes it can be very difficult to motivate yourself to actually think, right, I've, you know, I want to, to fulfill this creative need within me uh, mm. because there's so many other things that restrict that. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. What that led me to thinking is that mm. difficulty element of it, because I think you're right that yeah. a lot of people think if they're not doing it already themselves, they have an impression of what it would be like. There's an expectation of what it would be like to be an author or a painter or whatever. So before you talk about the switch itself, you obviously decided to switch on this creativity and then pursue it. What was yes. your expectation of what that would be like versus what it is actually like? Okay. So, I mean, a little bit more about how that switch, what that switch actually looked like, and then yeah. I can perhaps explain. Yeah, please do. Expectations against reality. Uh, <laughs> so I've... Well, I've always been interested in art. I've always dabbled, painted, drawn throughout my life. As you might expect, you know, that's kind of goes in peaks and troughs. Again, coming back to what I've just been talking about, maybe some of the sort of peaks are triggered by perhaps doing an evening class or doing, you know, some kind of weekend workshop or getting together with some friends with similarly minded. And then maybe, I mean, not even a couple of months, maybe for a year or two years, I'm like not doing anything. And then I'm suddenly doing a lot more. So, you know, as we were saying at the beginning, this, this kind of underlying need and desire to pursue this had built up with me over a period of time. I also knew that I wouldn't really be able to fulfill that desire without some help. So when I say I started to become a painter at 55, what I actually did was that I did a BA. I did a, a degree in fine art at 55. And then immediately after that, I did an MA, I did a master's. So it wasn't just the question of, oh, I'm going to sort of switch and stop my work. And then I'm just going to sit in the spare room and make some paintings. But it was like, I realized that I would not be able to do that just with myself. I needed support. I needed tutorials. I needed tutors. I needed people around me who were doing the same thing. I needed libraries. I needed workshops. I needed technical support. All of those things to kind of totally immerse myself in this. And then what you learn from those three or four years gives you a basis and a springboard to be self-supported going forward. Right. I haven't answered that question at all. So you said, what's, what's it like reality yeah. versus expectation? I would say that the four years where I was studying, the three years of my degree and the one year of my master's surpassed all expectations in terms of what enabled me to become. I mean, in, in preparation for, for this podcast, I, I, I thought back about key influences and the, the guy who ran the course at the art school I went to, when, when he interviewed me, he said, our aim is to give you every possible help to make the best artist you can possibly be. And I thought, ah, oh, perfect. That's really, really good. And indeed, they absolutely did that. So that whole environment was, was absolutely fantastic. I found also from a reality perspective, you know, from what I found from doing that, is that I thought maybe I just kind of, I'm quite good at drawing. I think a lot of people who get into art, they're quite, quite good at drawing and painting, and I think that's what they're going to do. And going into a college environment makes you become more aware of so many aspects to art 
you know, the importance of the materials that you're using. Why, you know, they're going to question you everything. Oh, I'm doing oil painting. Why are you doing oil painting? Oh, I'm using this pigment. Why are you using that pigment? I'm doing a sculpture. Why are you doing sculpture? They're going to ask you. And and they're not asking you to test you. They're asking you so that you personally reflect on what you're doing. And then you make appropriate decisions going forward. So not only was it an incredibly uplifting experience, but it was also an experience that really pushed me and pushes everyone to explore new avenues that you might not necessarily want it. Mm. You know, they are absolutely 100% encouraging you. They want you to make mistakes, you know, not to make you feel bad or anything like that, but just we want you to go through an avenue that you don't think is necessarily going to give you success, what you might define as success. Because yeah. maybe when you do this, even at the end result, you might not like it at all. You might have learned something. And what you learn from that, you will take into another avenue. You'll take into another route. Yeah. So I think that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I would say that after, it's a bit more, it's quite a lot more difficult in that you lose or you've suddenly lost this support that's already yeah. been around you, all this motivation, you know, the, it's not true to say you lose the motivation, but you lose people who are around you, encouraging you, bouncing ideas off you, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you do find you think, oh, uh, what am I going to do now? So that's, that is a bit of a, a challenge. So again, to stress my experience was working, studying, and then practicing. And that yeah. change from study to practice is quite tricky, I'd say. Yeah, really fascinating. Does that make sense? So, yeah, totally makes sense. And I, actually, I was reflecting when you were talking there about often when people write, write a novel and if they're lucky enough to get it published, the last thing you do when you've written a book is think, well, why did I do this? What, who's it for? Because you have to do that to be able to pitch it to the agents and the publishers. You have to identify where it would sit on the shelf. But there is that tension. I don't know whether you feel it as well. There's that tension between the pureness of creating something and making those mistakes and seeing it develop and following your, your uh-huh. groove and actually what are you doing it for? How are you going to make it work for you? if you have to rely on it for your income. <laughs> so yes. and the commercial element, and often I, the people I've spoken to do really struggle with the joy of creation and mm. then having to switch their head into some kind of almost entrepreneurial business approach. How do you deal with that? Another excellent question. I think that the, the issue with that is that not only are they completely parallel worlds, they are actually worlds which conflict mm-hmm. because, uh, as I say, you might be going down some route. You, you, might, you might have had some commercial success with something. And then, but you say, you say to yourself, okay, I've enjoyed doing that. I've enjoyed doing that for the last six months, year, two years. I've seen some things that I've done and I'd like to pursue different directions. But then the commercial success might fall away. I mean, if I'm honest with about my personal situation, I I have a need to raise income from that, but I'm not a 25-year-old. I don't need to have a full career from it where I'm making, I don't know, you know, 50 grand, you know, 50 grand a year or 30 grand a year or 100 grand a year, whatever it takes to live in London at the moment. Mm. So I'm a little bit protected from that. Mm. But I do think that they are very conflicting things. And, and, and actually, just from a creative point of view as well, it's not just about the commercial aspect, but a portrait that I might have posted on Instagram 
six years ago. And I know the algorithm's changed on Instagram. But I would have got more likes and I'd have got more pats on the back for that than something I might have done last year. Mm. You know, because a lot of people, particularly not in the art world, and I, and I can absolutely know where they're coming from, think, oh, that's really good. He can paint a nice picture of a face or he can like, paint a nice bowl of fruit. And maybe if you're, you're exploring some concepts more mm. and you're exploring materials and the way they're used, that might not be so appealing in a little kind of a thumbnail on Instagram. Mm. So, and, then, and that sort of, you battle with that a bit. You think, oh, I quite like being liked. I like people saying, oh, that's really good, Andy. You know, mm. so, mm. so it's, the, it's the thing about making money, but it's also about you've got to almost disassociate yourself. Mm. Ultimately, I'm doing it for myself. Right? Yeah. I'm doing it for myself. If yeah. people like it, I'm very happy with that, and I would mm. like people to like it. I don't want to be mm. so obscure that no one knows what I'm doing. No one understands what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I kind of think that. I don't want things to be so obvious that they immediately get it. I think I'd like people to look at my work to be intrigued by it, mm -hmm. to think that looks interesting. I yeah. like the look of it. I want to now understand a little bit more about what's behind it. And then it's even better. I think that's, you know, kind of most things that I personally enjoy, whether it's looking at art, anything that's been done creatively, so, mm -hmm. some attraction that I have to it. And then you read more about the author or you read more about the film director and the other films that that person's made. And you think, oh, I can see this body of work. I can see where this has come from. And yeah. it makes you even more engaged and more inspired by what you're looking at. So, I'm totally on your wavelength. Okay, so you talked a little bit about the origins of it's always been part of your life, really, but it was perhaps just yeah. on the side. So talk about the actual switching moment. You were working in a very successful career. You'd worked your way through it and up, and yeah. you'd been doing that for a long time for a number of years yeah. so what was it that made you think no I'm going to do this now I'm going to actually go and properly and I need that support and I'm going to go and do that by doing a degree well there's, there's different elements to that I guess mm -hmm. you know I, I found myself in a position I thought I could do it we, we have one son left home and gone to uni and was moving on I thought my age was very important as well as a trigger to do mm -hmm. it because I was 55 so I was obviously had been thinking about it for a few years before that, seriously thinking about it. But and I, and I said to myself, you know, I could earn more money if I'd carried on working until I was, say, 65. But I felt to myself, probably a bit late, I might have run out of energy by then, you know, <laughs> which I don't, I don't, maybe that's not true, but because I feel pretty energetic now. But I don't know. I just thought I'd rather do it slightly earlier than wait until perhaps things were more financially secure. So, because I, I wanted to have the energy and I wanted to have that real enthusiasm, which I felt I did, which I absolutely did have at that stage. So mm. it's that combination of kind of, I felt able to do it and then a strong desire to do it. Mm. Was it all pull? Was it something pulling you towards it? Or was there any push factor saying, mm, I'm really not happy doing what I'm doing? It was it absolutely was not a terrible career or a bad job or anything like that. No. But yeah, it wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was uh, very inspiring, and and certainly it was. Sorry, that's not true. That's not true. I'm being dismissive about it. It was what I could definitely say was that it was all consuming. It was all consuming. So the business I worked for had a. Uh, it was an American company. I was based in London, looking after the European teams, but had management from the US and clients in the US. So it did become this. You you work European hours, and then you go home and. 
you've got your emails coming in and conference calls yeah. and, and what have you. Mm. Um, so it was with travel as well. It was, it was a very, very good job, a very good place to work, but it was all consuming. Perhaps mm-hmm. if it wasn't so all consuming, it might talk about the push and the pull. Yeah. You know, it might not have pushed us so much because I might have thought, oh, you know, I've got a couple of days a week where I can do things. But um, yeah, you work for those kind of corporations and it's difficult to get away from it. Yeah, it's a bit all or nothing. It sounds like you recognize that you couldn't do both at the same time. And so that yeah. you had to decide. Whereas other people might be able to gradually introduce something and then maybe move across, and but you just didn't have that option with the situation you were in. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I, and I think it's the as I said, I think it's that the surprise element I had when I did the studies, which was the the extent and the depths that it took me towards. Yeah. Whereas if I had perhaps just done some evening classes and things like that, I would. Have, I mean, it just would have been it would have been a hobby, you know, rather than yeah. anything else. Yeah, you were obviously taking. I don't it want to be bad about people who are doing about no, no. five evening classes. I loved it. No. <laughs> I absolutely don't want to sound like that. Yeah, you don't come yeah. across that way. I think I've been looking at this actually, and there's several stages that people go through on a creative journey, and some people already okay. know that they're at the kind of no, I'm going to do this stage. Some people go through the early stages, or sometimes they don't even believe they can because they've been told mm. something negative in the past. And of course, as you say, we're all we're all actually creative. Creativity comes in lots of different forms, and it's not necessarily a making form, but it's the pure definition is just novelty. So something that's been made from nothing that wasn't there before. So it could be anything. It could be a thought. It could be a puzzle. It could be anything. So, but some people don't identify as creative, and then they they need to want to explore to see whether there's something there. There's definitely a whole. Well, what is this, and why do I need it? And sometimes it gets to the point where they just think, well, I need it for me. I don't need it for anybody else. I just need it for me. But then there are some people who go, well, actually, I've got something to say, and this is my way of expressing myself in the world, and I want to leave something behind, and I want to make a difference to people. And so it's just further along that line of different stages that people take it on. You know, There are different ways of doing it. There's the side hustle way, and there's the no, I'm going to go all out and do this as my full-time thing. And there's no right or wrong way of doing it either. That's the thing. Right. Okay, so I'm also still curious though about was there a moment? Do you remember the moment where you went, no, I'm going to do this? Was there something going on at that time that made you identify that this was the path or was it more of an exploration that you were taking? I can't remember a specific moment. No. I would say there was probably be a combination of things. Um, Mm -hmm. Perhaps, as you say, the the kind of the push away from thinking this work is too all-consuming. One of my friends was a similar age, and he'd done a degree in art, I think when he was about 45 or something, and I found that quite inspirational. He is a freelance translator as well, so he's managed to keep that income stream and that job going alongside his creative. But yeah, I think that that, Meeting him and others like him who had gone to it at a later stage of life, I thought was was an inspiration. Really, mm, it planted a bit of a seed, did it? Which grew a bit of a seed. Yeah, I'd say it's a few <laughs> things. Yeah, it's a few things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So I would really, really keen to talk more about the practice that you have now. So, how does that work? What do you do? Why is that the path you're exploring at the moment? What's been going yeah. on? What challenges have you had? Just talk about life as 
as an artist, as a painter? Yeah, so I think the first thing is about the practice itself. There are many things I'm interested in life, but there's two of the things that I'm most interested in. I'm really interested in socio-political situation. I'm interested in, I guess, perhaps like a lot of people, perhaps since Brexit happened, Trump coming in, rising populism, climate change. Probably if you asked me about politics 15 years ago, I wasn't, wouldn't really have a strong opinion either way, but th those things... These are things that I might have taken for granted. We might have all have taken for granted. And now you think, well, this whole world is shaken up around us. And I was thinking about this podcast as well. And I was thinking, you know, one of the things when I did work uh, in my career work, I'm still working now in art, you know, I did a lot of work with our offices, our colleagues, with clients across the EU. And obviously in those days, it was very easy for everything, travel, contracts, payments, all of those things, there were no issues at all. And obviously I reflected on the fact that not only did I not, not like what was happening personally, but also what was happening to businesses was quite real to me rather than just something that I'd read about. So I would categorize those things as broken utopias. So things that we thought were great, or perhaps we didn't think they were ideal, perhaps they weren't utopian, but they were pretty good and yeah. taken away from us and, and the world is changing. So I'm interested in that one hand. On the other hand, I'm really, really interested in the traditions, craftsmanship of painting, um, the paints that are used, the pigments that are used, how um, layers are built up, how canvases are stretched. Love that. Love it all. Brilliant. Fantastic. Okay. So if I, if I had to define what I'm trying to achieve, is I'm trying to work out some kind of visual language, some unique visual language, which is my own that responds to the things that I see around me, around us in the world. And that would be fundamentally what my practice is about. Okay. So how does, you know, how, how do I do that? Well, yeah. coming back to the idea of creativity and what, the, you know, what creativity means to me, it's, it is about hard work. It's about research. It's about looking at other artists. Actually, quite often not looking at other painters, but looking at people making films, looking at, people making sculptures, people in, in different practice areas, looking at how they're responding to things. It's about experimenting with making things. Uh, and I would say that the biggest breakthrough I had was that when I was walking along banks of the Thames, I was thinking, looking at the city of London, I was thinking how the, what changes the city of London might see over the next few years. I was thinking that history of London. I am a Londoner. I've been brought up in the outskirts of London, the suburbs of London, so, you know, but I've always been brought up around this area. So I know it well. And you think about the history of London and the terrible things that have happened in London and yet somehow keeps going somehow. Mm. And I just, I thought, well, where can I see that? And then I looked down at my feet and I thought, ah, here's something that's going on. So here on the banks of the Thames, you see bricks. Those bricks have come from bombing in the blitz you see coal that's been imported you see chalk that's been brought in from the white cliffs of dover um you know this kind of idea of insularity and you see clay pipes from two three hundred years ago you see oyster shells you see all, all these things around us the his the very history of london is right there those materials are right there under my feet and i thought to myself how can i make some paintings using this how can i make some work using this and I explored various ideas. 
I buried canvases underneath the soil there and left them for six weeks and went back to pick them up. It was an unsuccessful experiment because, first of all, I, I think I put five under and three of them were stolen because I actually even padlocked them to the, to the chains. And I put, please do not move. This is an artistic experiment, right? And the tide was coming in and out. And then the, the chains had been snapped. Someone took the, took the things. <laughs> uh, and then the ones that did remain, the, because I only left there like six weeks rather than six years, I took them out and the, every, all, everything just washed off. So anyway, it wasn't a good experiment, but there you go. That's what we try and do. What I did find successful was the fact that I could make pigments from those materials. So collected the materials. And can I just say that this was in the time before you needed a license to do that. You now, you're not allowed to mudlark on the Thames unless you have an existing license. So I was able to do that. So you could pick up a brick, you could crush it down with a hammer. You can get it into small particles, put it into a Nutribullet, come out of there, you come out with, with pigments. And I can use those pigments to make paints. I was also making the paints using a very traditional technique, which is traditional gesso, which involves using some chalk. And I use the chalk from the White Cliffs of Dover, from the beaches there. So again, it's not I'm painting something, a picture of something, but that very, this whole history mm. is in the painting. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So I'm, what I'm doing is building up single layers of single colours. So I've got 15, 20 layers of gesso. So I might have, a, let's call it a red colour, a brick colour. Then you have another black colour, a coal colour, etc. And then once I've done that, I'm sanding down into those layers using a power sander, a power tool to drill down to reveal lower la layers. And this is the idea of revealing histories and how you know there's a constancy to the way that we live. And there's an ebb and flow to the tide of the Thames. There's an ebb and flow to histories. And it gives me an opportunity to reflect back on you know, where we are and perhaps have some more optimism than I might have had otherwise. And so it's giving me a time to reflect. And I think hopefully as a viewer, coming back to that point I make originally, they might think, oh, this is an interesting work. I like the look of this. And then they read more about it or they talk to me or they look at my website and think, oh, I can see where this is coming from. And in fact, when someone who bought a painting that I had made in that way, that they had moved out, they were Londoners, they'd moved out of London. And they said to me, one of the reasons they wanted it is they didn't want some kind of picture of London, but they wanted London itself. And they had that on them. That's kind of my big breakthrough. And I thought this is a good way of making art that I can find a location that represents the things that I'm interested in. And then I can make work that responds to that location. So after that, I found a, a disused seminary in the wilderness of Scotland. Okay, it was built in the 1960s. It was St. Peter's Seminary at Cardross. It's a brutalist seminary. So it's built in, it looks like a car park. Basically, you're, you're wandering around the Scottish wilderness. You, you find a little kind of wooded area. You look through there and there's this like concrete, what some people might say is a concrete monstrosity. I quite like it, but that's the sort of thing I like. Anyway, it was used for about five or 10 years to train a hundred priests. They could never find a hundred trainee priests to go in there. So after five years, it was sort of basically abandoned. And with a concrete building, particularly, I think, if you neglect it and leave it, it falls apart. So it became a ruin in like 10 years, 10, 15 years. And it was, I imagine it like the Barbican, something which was really, really well designed. Five, 10 years later, it's a ruin. So I went up there, 
I did drawings, I wrote poetry, I made some film, took some photos, did some concrete rubbings like I used to in the cathedral, doing brass rubbings, but I was doing concrete rubbings, brought all of these materials and these ideas back and then made a series of works that responded to that. So, so that's the practice. That's what the kind of work that I'm making. Like I would call it project-based or series-based, so something... Mm-hmm. It, it's a continuation of the same ideas, yeah. but it's based on some new location or some new, some new influences that I'm finding and I'm, I'm making work like that. Okay. So you used the word responding there earlier on. Obviously, you're looking at inspiration from people who look at the world through different creative lenses as well. Yeah. So do you think you're work is an it's an expression of you obviously but do you think there is something else you're trying to communicate because it starts from what you said to me it starts from inside an interest and a curiosity and you almost have to be this is why it's hard work because you have to be in periods of being switched on to stimulus and then go into okay what am I going to do with this stimulus so you're not mm. always in the same phase of thinking. You know, sometimes you're expressing and sometimes you're exploring. And sometimes you're just going through perhaps what you might think is a fairly boring stage of, I don't know, you know, just making just, stuff, make, making the pigments, or you, you've made some decisions about what you're going to do and you've just got to almost like the creative aspect to it, perhaps you would say is in all phases of making the work. Yes. But at some phases it's a lot more than others. Yeah. yeah you know you're you're exercising a a process or you're manufacturing something yeah do you think to be able to do this you have to accept that there are parts of the phases are going to be more stimulating personally than others and that it's what's necessary to get the output it's a bit like with this podcast I could sit and talk to you and my other guests really happily and we create moments which are unique and other people, hopefully when they listen to them, are learning and are inspired yeah. and that has an impact. That's all great. But to actually make it happen, there's a lot of work in terms of research and time, who am I going to talk to? And then there's yeah. a whole load of work about putting the episode together and the editing and the, and the tech that you need. And yeah. da, 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 da. Technical side things, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the promotion as well. We're coming back around a little bit to uh, who is this for. So there's parts yeah. of this podcast and parts of your work that are literally for us. So for me, it's an expression of who I am. It's one of my creative projects in itself. Yeah. That is enough for me in some ways, but yeah. I do want to have an impact. I do want what I'm doing to reach people and to touch them and to have some yeah. kind of impression that I leave behind. So to do that, you have to reach people. And you've got that whole thing around switching off the creator who is doing it for themselves and switching on the marketeer or the entrepreneur or whatever. How do you deal with that challenge of those different phases and working through that process where sometimes you don't feel inspired to get up and go and do it, the necessary work? I think this is sort of the phases of making the work, which, you know, I'm always comfortable with whether they are more creative phases or less creative phases. Mm-hmm. Particularly once you get on a bit of a roll, you think, oh, I know where this is going. You know, I, can, I can see what's going to come out. I guess it's, it's coming back to that, the commercial aspect, the marketing aspect. Mm-hmm. That does feel a very different thing than 
perhaps spending three days grinding pigments, which perhaps is not that creative, but you know where it's going and you're enjoying the process. I'm enjoying yeah. the process anyway. Yeah. Uh, but then you say, okay, I'm now marketing and, and this, is a, this is a different thing. And I, yeah, I would say I find that difficult. I think that, again, when you're at college, you're doing shows, you're getting a lot of people through the door at the shows because you're at college. So I, I think when we did our degree show, MA show, I think we had 1,500 people come through. They want to see City and Guild's MA degree show. So that's, you think, oh, this is, this is great. Lots of people come to these shows. And then, of course, <laughs> you find yourself on your own and it is more difficult. I would say it's probably something I don't do that well. I think that in the fine art world, what you really do is you really, really need to get out there. You need to go to every private view that you get invited to. You probably need to like rent a studio in London so there's 50 people around you that are all making you work and all hungry for success. And I don't really feel that comfortable doing those things. I don't really enjoy them that much. And mm -hmm. I do, I am lucky enough, I have a spare room at home. So I use a spare room here to make my work and I don't really feel justified in, it, not just justified, but I, I live about 20 miles from London. So I tend to kind of travel in all those things. So I, I do feel a little bit isolated in terms of the artistic practice. Mm. What I would say, what I am able to do is that I have a, a kind of a, a closer network of friends that I have from college days, from studying. And I stay in touch with those. You can't wait for the phone to ring. You have to absolutely make things happen yourself. You've got to perhaps like rent a, a gallery in London, you know, invite some other people to do a show with you. That's got a lot of benefits. Even setting aside the fact that you may or you may not sell anything. If you know that you've got a show in six months time, three months time, you think, well, I don't want to show stuff that I've done before. So I need to make some new things. So what can I do? Where's my inspiration? It's a deadline. And I think setting a deadline for you to do things for me works very well, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's really important. Again, in answer to your question, I have been reasonably successful commercially. I do not make enough money out of this to make a living, but I do make money out of it. Okay. You know, perhaps if I did need to make a living out of it, perhaps I would try harder. <laughs> that, might have, that might have positive and negative things because... It might be more restricted than what I was making. And my mind would be thinking, oh, I've got to spend half my day making. I've got to spend half my day selling. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Earlier on, you said something which I think probably gives you the answer to that question, which is that yeah. because you're where you're at in your life, you don't have that need to be as commercial. And actually, yeah. the whole point of exploring your creativity was to be able to express yourself creatively. And yes. so if you felt you had to, say, for example, you sold a painting to somebody quite famous, they had yeah. a big following, they told everybody about it, all their friends then said, oh, Andrew, can you make me one of those, that series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great yeah. commercially because you're actually getting commissions and that's fantastic. But then you're potentially restricted creatively because – you don't want to carry on making one of the same, another one of the same, another one of the no, same. Exactly. You want to, so there's that very fine balance between making something that you do want to have an impact on people, that it will appeal to them, and that's why they'll buy it, but not to the detriment of actually restraining or constraining your creativity. Is that a fair summary, do you think? 100%. I mean, yeah, exactly right. 
So, but obviously everybody's going to be different, different situations in life, different things that they want to achieve with their creativity. But is there anything that you would say you have learned that would be like almost a universal message or mantra that you could share with people to help them? I would say, regardless of what your your position in life is, I would say that I think it's the easiest thing to overlook, the easiest thing. You have things that you absolutely need to be doing every day. You need to be earning money, looking after yourself, looking after the family, whatever, looking after your house, whatever it might be. I think, I also think, speaking personally, then there are other things which are, because I'm really, this creativity aspect is hard work. There are other things then that might come as a secondary I don't have to do this, but I'd quite like to go for a bike ride with my friends. So brilliant, I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to do a bit of gardening, or I'm going to watch some football. Brilliant. That's my second kind of tier. Finally, I'm going to have to think, oh my goodness, I'm going to make some artwork. Right? It's not an easy thing to do. So my advice would be set some time aside. And if you feel like you're unable to do that, then I, I would advise doing some kind of course, you know, some some kind of evening class, some, there's a lot of online communities that you can get involved with, whether it's fine art or whether it's writing or whatever it might be. I think getting involved in a community and having other people around you that are going through the same things as you or are interested in doing the same things, I think that's really important. I don't want to say, I, I haven't studied it. I don't think everyone's necessarily got this desire, but I think a lot of people have creativity in, in them. And I do think it's often at the bottom of the pile yeah. in terms of priorities. So my advice is find ways of bringing that, perhaps not to the top of the pile, that higher up yeah. your list of priorities. Yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. very good advice. <laughs> There's one more thing I wanted to come back to, and then sure. we're, we're close to the end. But this is something that oh. I'm thinking other people will have this situation too. So they may have had yeah. or may still be in another career whatever that is and they have this desire yeah. to be more connected with their creativity and possibly turn it into something that they can make some kind of living from yes are there any skills or experiences from your other andrew that you recognize that you use now in your creative career are you using any of those skills now and value those in your new career yeah Okay, I've got a couple of answers to that. I think when, when I worked, I did a lot of, I learned the skills of being able to communicate in ways that I was, sometimes I was spanning two different areas. Maybe I was talking to some programmers who didn't know the business side of things that well and business people who didn't really know how to communicate to programmers, let's just say, mm -hmm. or, or people buying something that they don't quite understand how that technology is going to benefit them. I like to think I can communicate quite clearly. I did, used to do a lot of presentations, a lot of uh, discussions with clients, and I think that clear communication, particularly when you're doing something which might be perceived as a little bit obscure, is an important thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is that just as being creative is hard work, being commercially successful is hard work as well. And I think that not waiting for things to happen and making things to happen. Uh, I worked with one 
sales director who always used to say, if you say the right message to enough people as many times as you can, people will buy from you because you need to keep going. (laughs) To summarize as that, you know, if you keep going, you don't think that if you get hit back at one point because someone hasn't bought something or hasn't published your novel, don't kind of give up at that point, but keep going because it's not guaranteed that eventually it will happen. But the more people that you talk to and the more avenues that you pursue, then the more chance you have of something happening and you have to take it on board yourself to do that. Definitely. Yes. I totally agree with that, actually. I was taught very early on in my recruitment career because I was in recruitment for many years and I'd never done anything related to sales before. And it is sales really at the end of the day. You're filling a need with a person who has the skills to to perform that job, but you're selling all the time in every part of the job. I found that the training I had, I've carried with me for the rest of my life, which is that if you have a positive attitude and you have determination, you can actually treat all the negatives as positives. So yeah, every every true. time you get rejected when you're submitting your work, you know, you yeah. might be trying to get into a gallery and the gallery says, oh, no, your work doesn't really suit us or whatever it yeah. is. For me, it would be trying to pitch a, a finished novel to see if I can get an agent or a publisher or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Every no is one step closer to a yes, basically. So. Yeah. You've got to keep going, as you say, you've got to keep going. Um, But it was a training that I remember one particular incident I had, I was being, whilst I was being trained, and the person sitting next to me said, right, okay, this morning we're going to make sure we make 10 connections with potential clients. So that's more, that's more like 20 attempts or more because you don't get to everybody. And of those 10, we're going to try and get one lead. We're going to try and get, pick up one job needs filling. And I, we're nearly at lunchtime. So I started at nine, we're nearly at 12. And I was on my ninth call and, you know, it was another knockback and whatever. And then she said, look, you've got five minutes left. Just do the 10th one. What have you got to lose? And sure enough, on the 10th one, they said, oh, yes, we've actually got something. We need some help. Right. So it just like illustrated it as she was training me, illustrated it beautifully. And so now I do. I celebrate the nose. I, I, you know, I actually go, wow, I've had a rejection letter. (laughs) (laughs) i love to remember i like that advice i'm going to use that i've I've never got to the stage of actually going wow i've got a rejection letter but i think (laughs) that's something i've learned from this (laughs) brilliant i want people to know how to find you and your work so tell us where you are put all the links in the show notes but tell us how people can find you so i mean instagram and my website so andrewsheck.com you'll never guess how to spell my name so you'll need to look at the links on the attached this podcast but uh yeah, Andrew Sheck on, on Instagram and on my, my website as well. It's been fantastic talking to you. I will I've be watching it. your Brilliant. career with, uh, with interest to see how you get on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, take Thank you care. so much. No problem. Thank you, Nikki. I am so grateful to Andrew for taking the time to share the story of his inspirational transformation and for being so open about the reality of being a professional artist. I'll be honest with you, it's our conversation that gave me the push to broaden my exposure to more exhibitions this year. Now, it's creative adventures time, and I promise to share some advice from Nadine Benjamin on how to find the right creative path for yourself by getting curious. When I decided to become an author, 
I started down one specific path with one specific goal to write and publish the book Pivotal. I still pinch myself to think that I set off down that road and actually arrived at publication day. Mind you, it wasn't a straight road. There were plenty of twists and turns, but I got there. That said, I'm still a long way from fully realising what it means to be the author I want to be. I want my work to impact as many people as possible, to break through with a novel which makes its mark, changes people's thinking, helps the reader believe in themselves and make an impact in their own way. Sometimes when you're early on in your creative career, it can be difficult to see how things will develop. It can all seem too far away. When I spoke to Nadine in season one, she shared a brilliant way to push through any doubts. She said, think how limitless you are and get really curious about discovering new pathways, even the ones that you didn't know are there yet. I found our conversation so uplifting and positive. She reminded me to tap into my curiosity, to explore other ways to reach my audience and other ways to express my creativity. I'm currently editing the screenplay to Pivotal and intend to enter it into several screenwriting awards later in the year. I'm thinking of ways to incorporate the lyrics from songs I composed many years ago into future writing projects. And I'm always looking to expand my connections with fellow creatives to explore new collaborations. There are so many creative nuggets of wisdom in Nadine's episode. If you haven't got to it yet, you are in for a treat. I'll add a link in for you so that you can easily find it in the show notes. And if a podcast is a creative adventure you'd like to begin, check out the links for Alitu, my podcast recording and editing software, and Captivate, my podcast hosting software. Are you exploring new creative avenues? Have you been surprised by discovering a new route to finding success? Do tell us all about your experiences in the Creative Switch community. I'd love to hear about your creative adventures. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Creative Switch. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review over on podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, please let me know on Instagram at Nikki underscore balance. I do hope you join me next time and my guest Caroline Pierce a biographer who switched from ghostwriting and editing the stories of people's lives to recording them as an audio biographer. And remember, why survive when you can thrive?